Hello, and thank you for joining me for the Ethics of Socially Disruptive Technologies podcast. I'm your host, Christy, and in today's episode, we will hear more about how Confucianism can shape our thinking about technology. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, Elena, and thank you for joining us today on the Estet podcast. Hi, Christy. Thanks for inviting me. So some background, Elena, about you for our listeners. You are currently an assistant professor of ethics and political philosophy at the Delft University of Technology. Can you tell us a bit more about what you are doing at Delft? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I joined UDELF uh, uh, in the middle of COVID uh, in two years and a half ago. And uh, yeah, as you said, my title is Assistant Professor of Ethics and Political Philosophy. And that's my background in political philosophy. And at UDELF, uh, I've tried to broaden my research from political philosophy also to issues related uh, to technology. And in particular, I'm contributing to the ESDIT um, project, which is an inter-university project that we have here in the Netherlands that really focuses on how disruptive technologies are having an impact also on philosophical concepts, also political concepts like democracy. And we are using, I'm using uh, both uh, resources from the Western philosophical traditions, but also uh, Confucian uh, philosophical traditions. Okay. And Elena, you have been in a couple of different places all over the world for your, for your studies. You did your PhD at the University of Singapore and with um, King's College London. Can you tell us more about what you, what you investigated in your PhD study? Sure. Yes. So the PhD theme, it's a comparative uh, theme exactly as my PhD project. Uh, the, the theme is in political philosophy and uh, it tried to uh, connect uh, Western democratic theory. So a lot of debates uh, in the Western uh, canons and in the traditions on uh, why we justify democracy, why we need democracy, and so on and so forth. Uh, with debates about democracy and uh, critics of the uh, criticisms of democracy uh, in the East Asian debate, uh, primarily in contemporary Confucian political theory, where um, there has been a very heated debate in the past uh, 20 years on uh, democracy and uh, a possible alternative to democracy, which is uh, a meritocratic selections of the leaders. So my uh, PhD dissertation was uh, I tried to connect uh, these uh, two debates and trying to also bring resources from these different debates to try to formulate uh, a new perspective on democracy and meritocracy. Okay, so if our, if our listeners want to um, learn more about that discussion, you've published about that as well? Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've published several articles, and uh, um, yes, soon there might be a book also that uh, puts all the ideas all together. So uh, I think yeah, you will hear from me on this stuff <laughs> again and again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's that's good to hear. And then after your PhD, you did your postdoc at the School of Philosophy at Wuhan. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Perfectly, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and what did you study at the University of Wuhan? And um, can you yeah, can you tell us more about that? 
Sure. Yeah, it, it, it basically in Wuhan, I uh, continue developing my own research uh, line uh, on democracy and meritocracy. And uh, yeah, I engage uh, with uh, Chinese philosophers. So I learn. I had the chance to learn also their perspective on this international debate. And uh, I continue yeah, to, to work on democracy and the issues about meritocracy. Okay, so let's get into your article that we are discussing today. The article is titled Living Well Together Online, Digital Wellbeing for, from a Confucian Perspective. It was published in the Journal of Applied Philosophy in 2022. Um, can you tell us a bit more about how this article came about? Yes, um, it came because of uh, uh, my, the beginning of a collaboration and also friendship uh, with uh, my colleague uh, Matthew Rennis, uh, the first author of this article. And we were in the middle of COVID, both part of Estate, and uh, we were uh, members of the same Zoom meetings for a couple of times. Uh, and we figured out that there was an interesting overlap among our research. I wanted to explore the dimensions of Confucianism when it comes to ethical issues about technology and uh, a digital life. And uh, Matthew is an expert on uh, the debate on uh, digital well-being. So we thought, uh, well, why not trying out something try to say something together and uh, think about this issue together. And I think it was quite an interesting experience because we were thinking about uh, uh, social media and digital well-being in the middle of uh, the, the, the pandemic where a lot of interactions, most of our interactions were actually uh, online. And um, so it was an interesting experience and I really enjoyed it. Okay. So... For our listeners, also, we have a previous episode where we speak to Matthew Dennis specifically on digital well-being. But Elena, you focus or you have this background in, in Confucian systems of thinking as well. I know we cannot speak about the whole philosophical system, but can you tell us a little bit about Confucianism and also what you find interesting about it? Yeah, as you said, it's a very uh, Confucianism is a very rich uh, tradition, and I don't think I can do justice to it uh, in few minutes. But uh, I think for our listener, yeah, it's important to understand that this is a, a, a philosophical, intellectual tradition that started almost uh, the 2,500 years ago, and um, so it's one of the oldest Chinese philosophical traditions, and uh, we. Mm, mainly associated the beginning of this tradition with uh, uh, the teachings of Confucius, who lived, we think, around 551, uh, 479 BC. And uh, we also think that his teachings are recorded in, the, uh, in a book called the Analects in English. And then there are other ancient masters in the Confucian tradition, Manchus uh, and Shunzi, that they lived in the 14th century BC, who are supposed to have taken up, elaborated for their Confucius teaching. And so they develop very elaborated and rich other philosophies. And what is interesting thing about Confucianism that uh, historically had a very prominent role in the political and cultural uh, landscape of uh, East Asia, uh, primarily because it started as uh, uh, an intellectual traditions uh, in the elite circles of the rulers, of the scholars in China, but then uh, it spread it uh, from China to other 
other countries in the region, uh, Korea, Japan, uh, Vietnam, and it really influenced uh, their uh, intellectual debates for uh, centuries and uh, still today, primarily because uh, for many, many centuries, the uh, Confucian uh, texts were used um, as the basics for developing exam for the imperial examination systems. So the way in which China was uh, in China was selecting the civil servants. Um, so for many centuries in in China, the civil servants were were selected on the basis of their knowledge of. Uh, the Confucian texts, uh, their ability to uh, to write, understand poetry, and so on and so forth. But so it it was a very interesting uh, system because it created uh, allowed Confucianism to play a very important role politically and culturally in the region. Uh, but it also created a lot of knowledgeable person that they, if they were selected through the examination system, they were becoming civil servants. But most of the people were failing the exams; they were absolutely competitive. But that created a lot of uh, intellectual actuals, uh, variable knowledgeable Confucian scholars. And so that was the system in China, which was, uh, however, also brought it and developed and endorsed also by other uh, East Asian countries, like Korea had exactly uh, a civil service examination system like China and so on and so forth. So this is a little bit uh, a political reason why Confucianism managed to <laughs> Uh, to to stay in the uh, in the center of debates and in the uh, in the culture of the region for for many centuries, but also that means that it's in, it's such a long and rich tradition that it's impossible to speak of one Confucianism. It created a lot of different uh, school of thoughts, and it created because also over time the the beginning the arrival of Buddhism to China and to East, East Asia also changed Confucianism. So it's a very rich tradition. And still today, we have Confucian scholars uh, who are uh, engaging with the contemporary political issues, but also at the same time connecting them with uh, uh, Confucian values and Confu- Confucian principles. That's quite interesting. It sounds also like quite a challenging taste to me. If you, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much it is to know. Um, about it. Now, in your article, you make this claim about social media, right? That it's something that is highly individualistic. Now, for me, when I look at social media, it seems like that is exactly what they don't want to create. Social media companies always talk about how they are connecting people and bringing people together. But, But you have a bit of a different view on that. Can you explain to us what you mean by social media services as being highly individualistic. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, your intuitions on social media is perfectly correct, and that's also, I would say, also the 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 the, the way in which um, social media are presented to us. But um, Matthew, my co-author, and I are uh, believing that this is absolutely how social media are presented. But uh, however, the way in which uh, uh, social media works, or the way in which uh, social media invite us to behave, it's really about uh, uh, it's it's really a, a way that uh, actually fosters a more individualistic uh, approach to social connections, and uh, uh, we find it this quite problematic 
because uh, this is not how I would say uh, a good life is supposed to work. So we need the more social uh, connections and they're actually personal connections. So we make the statement that's, uh, that uh, we don't think that uh, Facebook friends are actually real friends. <laughs> and, uh, and this is primarily because we think that uh, this, the social media, yes, is represented as a, a, a way to connect with others, to to uh, spread uh, yourself to different kinds of social uh, teams uh, and uh, social groups, but ultimately, the way in which we are we we are supposed to be success we can be successful in uh, making social connection is spreading so thin, having so many social connections that it's almost impossible. It's almost unnatural for humans to have. Uh, uh, to be successful in uh, maintaining and developing so many social relationships. So we make the, the claim that according to anthropologists, usually uh, humans are able to, um, are incapable to successfully maintain and develop uh, uh, 400 uh, uh, social relationships. We don't, uh, we, we cannot, we are unable to do so primarily because of uh, different uh, uh, pragmatical reasons. Uh, but uh, if we are pushed to have so many connections, then this can create a, um, a kind of a stress because are unable to have, we are unable to be present in all these relationships at the same time. And so the, the quality also of our relationship uh, can be not that high or not that as desirable as we want. So there are problems about self-esteem at the same time. And it's also uh, problems about uh, the fact that we have uh, ultimately we are surrounded, maybe we are surrounded by social relations that don't really have uh, high, uh, they are not really high quality social relations, but they're more superficial, we might say. And this is problematic because uh, um, from a Confucian perspective, but also from empirical perspectives, a good life uh, uh, is also, it requires uh, humans to have uh, a relationship with a personal connection. So we cannot just, we need to have some instrumental relationship with people around us. Like, for example, if you take a bus and you, you uh, with the bus driver, it's impossible to have a personal connection. So it would be also be quite problematic if the bus driver needs to develop a personal connection with any person that uh, gets in the bus. But uh, we, in a good life, you need to have uh, some uh, relation with a personal connection, some good friends, uh, some maybe some partner, uh, family relationship. And so this is quite uh, problematic in uh, uh, if we relate it to the structure of uh, social media that uh, tends to yeah, allow us to give a lot of, uh, uh, increases the quantity of the social relationship. But uh, it's unclear to us how this quantity can also track quality. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm on very limited social media um, because I'm very careful about how I, how I use my time. But what I have found um, that really resonates with what you say is the social media that I am on, um, I feel like there's so many people that to keep mm. track of and I, f I find it quite overwhelming. You see, um, you know, yeah. sometimes you have 400 friends. I've seen people with thousands of so-called friends on social media. What? What does the research say mm -hmm. about what is, you know, in quotation or quotes, um, what is a normal kind of social group that you can interact with size wise? So we think that it will be one of our proposal. We think that it will be wise to limit online social connections to around 300. And that's quite already quite big compared to the actual number of social relationships that we have in the non-digital world. 
But it's basically uh, the the idea behind is to to think that uh, we yeah to try to make social digital social relation work a little bit better as as they are given that we it's it's almost um, yeah it's a reality that we will have we have and we will have uh, social relationships online. So the question is how uh, is not we don't think that we can get rid of the digital uh, world. We we will have to accept the fact that the part of our life uh, is uh, on social media to a certain extent. So the question is uh, how we can make that part work, uh, how we can make that part work better, given what we know about uh, uh, well-being from a Confucian perspective and also given what we know also from empirical studies. So when you speak about the individualistic approaches, how you approach this article is you give three different arguments to show that these individualistic approaches is quite problematic. Now, the first one you mentioned, and you spoke a little bit about this already, is this idea of unstructured social connection. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, so the unstructured uh, social connection is uh, a problem for social media technology that uh, I more or less mentioned already uh, before. And uh, that the, the basic problem is that uh, there is uh, this uh, um, structure of social relationship uh, spreads too much, it focuses too much on the quantity, but uh, it's challenging the ability to sustain high quality social relationships. And so it is unstructured because it's almost a flat uh, social structure. So there is no significant difference between uh, uh, the social relationship that you can have with your mother on social media or your friends and uh, um, a famous uh, star on the other side of the world. So, but the, the problem of uh, this high quality, this uh, quantity versus qu- high quality social relationship, as I was mentioning before, it, it can create uh, stress in the user, but also lack of uh, self-esteem, primarily because uh, it also pushes a little bit uh, yourself to, con- to, to evaluate uh, others in relations to you and uh, what you don't have that you see that has been achieved by others and so on and so forth. So um, another re- issue with an unstructured social connections is also the potential for uh, chronic distraction because you users have such a no- numerous social connection that uh, it's quite uh, difficult to keep track and to be present, uh, uh, as I was mentioning, uh, in uh, all these uh, social relationships. So hence, that's the proposal of uh, limiting uh, the number of uh, online social connections in social media. Especially here, we are focusing on uh, social media where, um, like uh, Facebook, uh, where uh, it's not there is a kind of a follower relationship like a Twitter, for instance, but really like a, a social media that uh, like Facebook, yeah, as I said. So back in the day when I was still on Facebook, I don't know exactly um, how everything is working today, but there would be some kind of algorithm that I didn't understand that would highlight specific uh, people on my timeline. Usually those aren't necessarily people who were close to me. These were people that that are um, just being, their content is being engaged with more. So is, is that also what you... What you mean with that's exactly that is the third problem that we highlight uh, in the paper, and we say that this is uh, creating a kinds of uh, paradox 
um, but because it's creating a social connection by using individual identity. So the paradox is that on one hand, the creator of social media technologies are emphasizing uh, that their tools connect users with one another and not just with friends or family members. But on the other side, uh, uh, they seems to be designed uh, uh, so that the users receive uh, more attention when uh, they express a strong sense of individual identity. So by posting uh, in ways that is uh, that garner basically attention. So you need to be controversial. You need to be different. You need to uh, post something from a very cool place and so on and so forth, right? So in a sense, they are preaching that we want to be connected users, but at the same time, the person that is most connected that uh, is a person that that has that is able to express a more individualistic and, uh, and a unique identity. You you use this very interesting and quite disturbing. I found this example quite disturbing of the pro Anna communities. Yeah, as I understood it, what you said is that some of these individuals in these communities are using this individual identity to garner more kind of likes and interaction. But in doing so, that might lead to behavior that could be, I, th- I think, self-destructive. When I, when I read that, I, I got shivers down my spine thinking of, of course, this, this kind of technology can, can uh, yeah, lead, to, lead us away from, from well-being. Can you tell us a bit more about yeah. these kind of communities and how they function? Yeah, so th- these kinds of um, communities works through the user of avatars that they depict be- basically and glorify anorexic bodies. And these avatars typically uh, document a kind of uh, uh, journey, an anorexic patient's journey with loss, uh, increasing uh, in, uh, decreasing muscle or, or bone, increasing bone definitions, for instance. And the, this journey is uh, scrutinized uh, by others. Um, so other members of the Proana community support uh, the, 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 each step of the journey. And of course, you know that how al- algorithm might work, so the um, prioritization Prioritizations, algorithmic prioritization makes these things worse because it creates a kind of a toxic situation, right? So the avatar um, has, a, has a strong source of identity, uh, can get a lot of uh, uh, support, uh, the more successful, I mean, successful in uh, according to that specific standard, um, uh, the, 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 the goal has been uh, achieved. Um, so basically, uh, more, uh, more anorexic behaviors are reinforced substantially. And again, the, 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 yeah, the problem uh, is it's kind of it creates a toxic situation because to, to receive more support by others, uh, I need to show more um, kind of individualistic, but also problematic behavior. Yeah. It also reminds me a little bit about the Foucault's panopticon, where you internalize kind of, you know, this idea that other people are watching and you you act in specific ways. But that's a different conversation for a different day. The second thing that we skipped over that you mentioned um, when you discuss the problems with these individualistic approaches is this difficulty in recreating the contextual features of social connections. Can you tell us more about that? 
So we, uh, the assumption, again, that uh, which uh, Matthew and I played is to say, okay, if we have to accept the fact that some parts of our life is going to be online, then uh, uh, why uh, and these online relationships don't work as they should, then what kinds of, uh, uh, what, 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 what are the issues, what are the problems with the social relationship? And the, uh, the third uh, aspect, uh, problematic aspect that uh, we have uh, discussed in the paper is what we call the contextual feature of uh, um, communications on in uh, on social media that primarily these communications lack uh, uh, certain kinds of contextual features that we usually have in uh, um, non-digital analogical uh, communications and connections with uh, other humans and so we have uh, uh, here we connect we we engage with uh, some of the works of my colleagues at uh, TUDELF that they have already stressed that there are important distinctive features like emotion uh, physical presence or other contextual factor that uh, are usually uh, um, salutary uh, of, of they are really important for offline social connection to work and we tend to implicitly to rely on uh, this uh, um, contextual feature when we develop a social relation in a offline context. So we talk about um, Marin and Roser's uh, research on uh, emotions and how emotions are expressed in normal offline relation and how the social media technology usually privileges certain kinds of uh, um, es- uh, emotions to be expressed rather than other. And then we also connect with uh, uh, Van Grunsven's uh, um, work on uh, tactility that is completely absent <laughs> so far uh, on uh, on social media and uh, digital social relationship on, on these platforms. But these are environmental cues that, the, um, cues that we usually rely on in online social relationship, but, but the, they are not present in, uh, um, in relationships, in social media, in, in social uh, relationship in, uh, on uh, digital platforms. Okay, so you make, I think, a quite convincing argument against this individualistic approaches. And then in your article, you move on to Confucianism and how Confucianism can be applied to kind of help us, you know, rethink the way that that social media structures connections. One of the interesting things you mentioned is rituals. Do you think, uh, how, how can we implement rituals, do you think, in these kind of environments and why would it even be important to do so? Yeah. So we talk about rituals uh, because, uh, and uh, this is something that has been uh, already um, be part of the debates in, uh, in applications of Confucian idea to um, new technologies. Um, but we try to bring a different take, uh, a different perspective on the problem. So maybe I I can just introduce, explain a little bit what uh, we mean with rituals in the in the Confucian traditions, and then uh, elaborate how we formulate uh, our proposal for engage, yeah, connecting the concept of ritual with the social media technology. So the, the, the ritual is a very complex um, notions in the Confucian tradition. Um, essentially, to really make things oversimplify uh, things, you have to consider that the Confucian person is a, a relational person. So they, uh, it's completely not individualistic. Uh, it's uh, a person, the person for a Confucian point of view is partly constituted, especially in the ancient Confucian tradition, is partly constituted by uh, its social relationship. So you develop morally and emotionally um, in by in virtue of being in uh, social relations with others 
and obviously the first point, uh, the, your first uh, uh, this the social institution more important for your uh, development as a person is the family because the family is for many of us the the place where we start developing as persons. But then um, from a Confucian perspective. Um, we um, learn how to, to be persons by also extending our social relationships to others. And so that's the community, but that's also the state and eventually even the world. But how do you develop, how do you learn uh, emotionally and ethically to be a person? How you continue to, to, to how do you foster and maintain social relationship? Well, one um, in, in the ancient text seems to be that the ritual really plays an important uh, role. In, uh, in Confucianism to answer this question. And ritual is not just a, a code of conduct, but it's also a, a, a practice, a kind of uh, a language uh, through which we can uh, learn, uh, yeah, to relate to each other uh, according to the right uh, uh, emotional, um, yeah, I would say a perspective a certain way so that we can develop emotions from one another and uh, we can also continue by, by practicing rituals, we can continue to foster our, uh, our social relation. So there is a case, for example, of uh, discussions about uh, whether it's in, in the analects, whether it is, it's correct to bow before climbing the stairs and see your, your king, or it's, uh, it's more proper to climb the stairs and bow in front of the king and so Confucius has is discussing uh, is discussing this issue of the two alternatives and at the end he, he goes for the for the first one it's better to bow before climbing the stairs and and why is it so well primarily because uh, by bowing before climbing the stairs I cannot look in the eye the king so I I'm forced somehow I'm induced and invited to to, uh, to nurture some kinds of reverence and respect towards Am I superior? And so the the you already see that the the ritual by this example is something that uh, it's not just uh, uh, mental, it's not just uh, uh, it's a verbal communication, but it's a physical communication. It's a contextual communication. And so uh, there is this uh, idea I think in the uh, that is quite interesting um, in the in the idea of uh, sorry in the concept of ritual that human communication is not just verbal, but it's also contextual. And that's, we think it's quite uh, important for the discussions on social relation uh, in the digital world, uh, primarily because, as we were saying before, there are issues with the contextual features uh, of uh, social relations uh, on uh, social medias. And so we think that uh, the, the idea of ritual can actually uh, inspire a new perspective of what a successful human communication uh, should look like. And this point is quite different from the one that has been uh, brought it, uh, proposed uh, mm -hmm. uh, by other Confucian scholars on the debate who uh, have argued that uh, we should ritualize technologies. And so one worry from a, a scholar, Confucian scholar, uh, Pakang Wang, uh, sorry, one worry, one proposal um, of uh, Confucian scholar Pakang Wang is actually to ritualize technologies, to bring uh, ritual practices such that we can learn from each, from each other or together how to behave uh, online and so on and so forth. But we think, uh, and uh, we discussed this in the paper, that we think it, this is quite uh, problematic, primarily because uh, uh, the way in which Confucian rituals uh, work are these rituals are very cultural sensitive uh, they they were 
practiced for many years uh, in a very specific kinds of culture. And uh, it's unclear whether this, this idea of ritual, these kinds of ritual, even if you think of different rituals, it's not about climbing stairs, it's something else. But whether these uh, the rituals can actually play in the same role in a pluralistic society. And so when it, and there are a huge debate about uh, pluralism and Confucianism in Confucian political theory. But I think this is even more troublesome uh, for the case of ritualized social media technologies, because uh, uh, these technologies, digital communities are even more pluralistic, right? Uh, because they extend beyond the national borders. So we think we are not uh, supporting the ritualizations of technologies, but we rather think that this concept can inspire a different perspective on human communication. No, that is, this is one of those topics that I think we can speak about for hours again, because some of the, the contexts that I work in as well, African indigenous communities also have very strong rituals that indicate whether you are part of a community or not. So I think it resonates yeah. across different communities. And yeah. the question for me that I find quite difficult is how would that look like on social media? What could it possibly look like mm. if we if we use ritual to inform the way that we live on this in this digital world? Do you have any ideas about what can be done? Yeah, yeah. I think the, this is one of the key questions when it comes to uh, debates on bringing non-Western philosophical traditions into the discussions. And I, I think it's a um, healthy discussions in a, a question in a sense that uh, I think the, the same question can be raised for Western philosophical tradition. On what basis do you uh, develop a technology uh, uh, in relation to a specific normative principles that not everybody agrees on? And uh, uh, so I found unfair that uh, we are always, uh, the non-Western philosophers are pressed to, to answer this question, but they were, I think Western, our colleagues in Western philosophy are, don't, don't have the same pressure some, sometimes. But I think it, it's the question, right? Because uh, uh, you have to assume a super duper pluralistic uh, uh, social community. And so uh, you can have a Confucian-based theory that or maybe you can have a Confucian-inspired theory. And I think the second approach, it might be more suitable for pluralism, primarily because uh, it, it's not as thick as a Confucian-based theory. And, and, and so uh, it can be uh, acceptable um, more dif to, dif to users with different moral uh, um, perspectives. And this is a little bit uh, the, the strategies that we used in this paper, because uh, we try to make an effort to show that uh, the Confucian idea idea of the person is uh, not just philosophically charming, but it actually resonates uh, with empirical uh, research on uh, human well-being. And so the, the, the importance of uh, uh, social relationship and the cultivation of social relation is not just something that uh, is good because the Confucians say so, but it's also because we have good empirical reasons to think that we work better when we are uh, part of a social network. Okay. Elena, we're heading towards the end of the podcast now. So I've got one or two questions that, um, that, I, that I find a bit more challenging. These are questions, of course, that's much broader than your work. But one of the things that I often uh, wonder about is, let's say we, we have these Confucian-inspired kind of ways to think about technologies and even use Confucianism to improve the social networks that we have online. 
it, it puts us in this difficult position because then doesn't that mean people would spend even more time on social media if we create environments that I think is more yeah better for for well being? What do you think about this difficult? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, understood the question. Um, yeah, um, our perspective is not the one to 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 try to place a, a real social relationship with the digital one i think it would be a very sad word <laughs> but uh, it's it's rather to uh, ensure that the digital works and support uh, the uh, mm, offline social relationships so i i I don't think uh, the scenario in which the, 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 so, the digital social, rela- the online social relationship will work that well, that we won't feel compelled to have offline social relationship uh, because that I don't think that that's how human, uh, human uh, people work. We, we will try to have more social relationship and try to maybe engage offline with uh, the persons that we have met uh, online uh, more and more. Thanks, Elena. That is, um, yeah, that's a lot that you gave gave me, and I hope our listeners to think about. Just final question in closing about your own work. Um, are there any projects coming up in the next couple of months that you can tell us about that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm uh, publishing, uh, as I was mentioning, uh, uh, a book on uh, my work in uh, uh, political theory, and uh, that that I think that will be the main. Uh, uh, work for the next few months. And uh, at the moment, I'm doing more research on methodological questions on the things that we have uh, mentioned before on uh, how to use the non-Western philosophical resources to develop contemporary, to develop theories for contemporary uh, societies. So that's also something that uh, um, I grow the interest on the methodological meta questions, (laughs) you you might say, yeah. Yes, those are definitely some of the questions that I'm also very interested in. Thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, thank you also to our listeners for tuning in today. I hope that you will join us again for the Estet podcast. Bye, Elena. Bye. Thanks for having me.